Oh, it's so good to be with you. For those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, I am so excited to be able to worship alongside you as we read God's Word, as we see what He has for us today. And so as you see, um, around here, I may be becoming the guy who's known as the food guy, y'all. And I'm okay with that because this is a beautiful Julia's cake, y'all. And you've never been to Julia's. You are missing out. Get right with Jesus and get to Julia's. But um, it is pretty, pretty glorious. And as I look at this Julia's cake, it reminds me of really my first real birthday party. And what I mean by that is growing up, we had a lot of home parties. I don't know if some of y'all know what that is. So home party means your mama makes the cake, your mama cooks the food, and you may or may not get a present. Just depends on where you guys are as a family. And so that was typically how we rolled because we didn't have a lot of means growing up. But I do remember when I was in the fourth grade, y'all, my parents went all in and they booked me a party at McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Some of you are thinking, Nick, do they do parties at McDonald's? Oh, yes, they did. And here's the beautiful thing. We played such thrilling games like stack the Big Mac box and how many fries are in the container. And that's real story right there, y'all. And I remember as my friends were there and they brought presents and they brought the cake out to me and it had Grimace and the Fry Guys and Ronald McDonald on it. Some of y'all are thinking, what's a Grimace? I'll explain it to you later. But they brought it out and the candles were lit and it was beautiful. And you might have not been able to pick this up with me, but um, I really don't like being the center of attention. I'm pretty shy and I really, don't laugh, I don't know why, you fix your face, y'all, okay? Um, and so they bring me this cake and it, and it really is one of these moments that I was like, man, I can't believe that I'm having a birthday party at McDonald's. My parents have gone all in. I know the sacrifice. I knew all that went into having this moment. And they sang happy birthday to me and everyone celebrated. It was truly beautiful. You know what would have been really odd, though? As they were bringing me that cake out and they set the cake in front of me, if I took that cake and said, you know what? I really wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. They have better cakes, they have better pizza, and the creepy animatronics is really awesome. And so I really, really wanted to be at Chuck E. Cheese, but of course I wouldn't do that. Why? Because I recognize all that went into providing for that party. My parents did it all. But yet today we're going to look at a story where the king spent time, energy, and effort. He, made, he took six days to make paradise. And he gave this beautiful paradise, this unbroken relationship. He gave it to his creation, Adam and Eve. And he said, here you are. We have unbroken fellowship. We have everything we need. And I did it all. And in that moment, Adam and Eve did something that was pretty audacious. They took that cake and they said, they said, King, we think we know better than you know. See, we appreciate that, but you know, we think we can do better than that. We think that we are able to really figure it out ourselves. And even though they looked in the midst of this flawed and broken cake, they go, you know what? It's not that bad. I can fix it. And so they took their hands to it and they said, I got this. We are going to fix it. I'm going to make something beautiful out of this mess. And they go, you know, don't worry about it. I know it looks a little shady now, but just wait. There we go. 
And we look at that and go, wow, how could anybody do that? How could someone take perfection and trade it in for less than? And we look in the midst of this and go, there is no way that victory can be secured in the midst of that mess. But what we see the king do, and only the king can do this, is he can take the mess and make a masterpiece. He can take what is broken and what is flawed and he can put it together in such a way and make something beautiful. See, the king has this impeccable record of taking the ashes that we make of our lives and to make something beautiful because the king does not lose, y'all. He never has and he never will. The king is able to take even the most broken of circumstances and situations and make something beautiful. See, I don't know where you find yourself today. You might be looking at me and you might be thinking to yourself, hey, Nick, 2020 has been a wash. It was hard. It's a mess. 2021 has started off the same way, Nick. It is a mess. And I am not sure that something beautiful can be made from the mess. And I am here to remind you today is that the king has an impeccable record of taking the mess and making a masterpiece. So over the next few moments, we are going to see that the king doesn't lose and he never will lose. And so I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us over the next few moments is that you remind us that you are able to take the messiest of situations and make something beautiful. Lord, will you remind us today that you are calling us into the light? that you have an answer and you made a way where there was no way. Father, will you remind us today that in the midst of us continuing to make a mess, that you are able to do something that only you can do. And Father, may we be reminded today that in the midst of defeat, you still move and you still win. Thank you for the victory that you have secured. Thank you for what you desire to do in this place and want to continue to do. Thank you for the reminder you're going to give us today, and thank you that you love us and that you're at work and you continue to work. And so, Father, over the next few moments, may our walls come down. May you give us a better view of what is true. And, Lord, may we be reminded that you are still able to make beauty out of the ashes. So, Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or whatever it is you use uh, to read God's Word, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Let me give you a little background on what's going on. So in the beginning, God is creating something out of nothing. Only God can do that. He make, he's making a masterpiece in the midst He's making animals. Then he makes his creation, and he sees that it's not good for him to be alone, so he gives him a mate to walk in relationship with, and he invites the both of them, Adam and Eve, to walk in right relationship with him, with unbroken fellowship. It truly is paradise. It truly is beautiful. God did all the work. He put all of himself in his creation. He even gave them the breath of life, the very breath from his own lungs to make them alive. And as you read this narrative, it only took three chapters for us to mess up paradise, y'all. 
And you might have had this thought in your head. I know I've had this thought. If I had been in the garden, then I wouldn't have messed up. Let's just be real, everybody. If you had been in the garden, we would find ourselves in the same place we find ourselves today. And you might be thinking, Nick, you don't know me, but I know me. And I know today that God offers me what is best, but yet I am willing to trade what is best for less than. That is my posture. But yet we're going to see in the midst of this broken situation, God is going to do something that only God could do. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The enemy does something that the enemy still does today. The enemy put a question mark where the king put a period. Let me say that again. The king put a question mark. No, the enemy. I was like, that's bad theology. Let me correct that real quick. Don't send me an email. The enemy put a question mark where the king put a period, and he still is doing that today. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the enemy goes, are you really the way? Are you really the truth? You can have your own truth. Are you really the life, Jesus? Because you could live a different life and still be happy. Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the enemy goes, are you really? Even though you were faithful in the past, are you still going to be faithful today? I come to bring life to the full. Then he goes, really? Does your life really feel that full? I want you to fix your eyes on all that is going wrong and all that is lacking. And the enemy just plants a little seed of doubt and goes, man, is the king really for you? Does the king really want what is best for you? And he's doing the same thing today. He's attempting to put a question mark where the king has put a period. Verse number two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, we need to make sure we know what the king actually says. Because when Eve goes, hey, God said don't eat from the tree in the middle, and he says also don't touch it or you will die. Can I just remind everybody, that's not what the king said. Like, she's in essence misquoting God, because here's the deal. You have to know the king's voice, because the better you know the truth, the better you can identify the lie. And so she goes, well, he also said, don't touch and you will die. You have to know what the king actually says, and you have to know his voice. So yesterday, I was at a party with my boys. And the kids were playing around, and my youngest was kind of in the middle where all the bigger kids were playing. And I said, Nash! And my little six-year-old did this. Like a gazelle in the Sahara Desert, y'all just. I said, Nash, move over so you don't get run over. And you know what he did? He moved over. Why? Well, because he knows his father's voice. How does he know his father's voice? Because he hears it often. 
And so he can recognize my father's voice. And some of y'all are thinking, Nick, he might recognize your voice, but you loud too. Amen and amen. But here's the deal. He can identify my voice because he listens to it often. You might be going, Nick, how can I hear the voice of the king? Read his word. The more you read his word, the better you can recognize his voice. Some of us go, man, I don't know the father's voice. And I would ask you, do you know what you're listening for? Do you recognize his voice because you have a pattern of reading his word so that you can best identify his voice? Also, Eve did this thing. It'd be kind of like this. Let's say when you were a kid, you had a friend over and y'all were being loud because y'all were excited about being in each other's presence. And your dad called you to his office and said, hey, I just want you to know that you and your friend are a little loud. Could you please quiet it down a little bit? And you hear what your father said and you go to your mom and go, dad just said that I could never have a friend over again and he doesn't like me anymore. The father did not say that. But Eve is kind of revealing something that all of us kind of have this been, is maybe when we don't like the rules, we exaggerate what was given. It's ever so subtle. Like God said, don't eat from it, but he also said not to touch it or we're going to die. No, the king didn't say that. Make sure you know his voice. Make sure you know what he's saying so that you can better navigate and expose the lies when they come. Because hear me, the lies are coming, everybody. The lies are coming. Those lies that you are less than, those lies that you're not good enough, the lies that it will always be this way. It's easy to listen to them because they sound so close to the truth, but it is not the truth. Listen to what the Father has to say. Verse number six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Can I get an amen? Sin always promises something that it cannot follow through on. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. And I'm telling you, you know that to be true. You have seen that to be true. In my own life, the times where I have given in to the lie, the times in which I have run to those things that I think will satisfy, it always costs me more than I want to pay. And it always under delivers, always. And Adam and Eve are eating this tasty food, but yet it is costing them more than they ever wanted to pay. The other thing we see here is we try to cover our sin with inadequate means. We are prone to run to the fig leaves to cover what we are lacking, but we are unable to fix ourselves. When I was trying to make the cake look back what it was originally intended. Did it get better or did it get worse? Yes. And there are moments where it looked a little put together. I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. But then you recognize it. It does not look like what was intended. See, the fig leaves, we think, will cover our shame. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. We were never intended to have to cover any shame. So it is still lacking. 
But yet we are still trying to cover ourselves with our own means. And we are unable to do so. Verse number eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Notice this real quickly. Notice that when God is calling Adam and Eve, he's not calling them with a, with a tone of condemnation. Did y'all notice that? He's like, where are my friends? Where are my people? Where are the people that I have made with intention that I've invited into relationship? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I can hear the quiver in his voice. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were less than? Who told you that shame was something you should walk in? Who told you that? Verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Hmm. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve are revealing what is true about all of us. It is always somebody else who dropped the cake. It is always somebody else's fault. It is always because they did that or they didn't do that. That is why I am here today. And can I just be really transparent with you? Let me just tell you something that is true. I can continue to blame everybody else for my brokenness, or I can look at the culprit in the mirror and put blame where blame is due. Because the truth is, I'm my own worst enemy. Think about every path that was less than that you walked down. Who led you there? You did. I did. And so I can keep blaming everybody around me and I keep saying because you like this or you didn't do that, my parents weren't good enough, all the things. But at the end of the day, I am my own worst enemy. I lead me to less than places all the time. So we see Adam and Eve, Adam going, it was Eve, the woman you gave me. In essence, Adam is blaming God. You gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. And Eve pulls the same thing. That snake, that serpent, who let him in here in the first place? He told me to eat and I ate it. God, why you didn't do better? So here they are, the first couple in their fig leaves that are unable to cover their brokenness. What is the king going to do? The first thing the king does is the king seeks. What does that mean? The king is walking in the garden as he normally did, and he is inviting Adam and Eve to come and walk with him. The king seeks. The king is inviting them to come out of the dark things and to come into the light and the cool of the day. The king is seeking them. And what is crazy to me and what blows my mind is that the king has no business seeking those who are running from him. He put time, energy, effort into 
this creation into perfection, into unbroken relationship. And when Adam and Eve broke the relationship, what does the king do? He seeks them out. He invites them to walk. And he's calling them out of hiding and out of dark things. Maybe God is saying the same thing to you right here and right now. Because the more you dwell in the dark, the more power it has over you. Darkness doesn't lose its power until it's exposed to the light. So for some of us, we keep hiding. We keep going back to dark things because we're going, it has a hold of me. Maybe it is time to bring those dark things to light and let the king expose it and restore you. Maybe it's time to accept the invitation and to walk with the king. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this. Come out of your hiding place from your self-reproach, your covering, your secrecy, your self-torment from your vain remorse. Come out and walk with the king. Verse number 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I love in the midst of this, God is revealing his redemption plan. See, I'm going to call my son and he's going to crush the head and he's going to redeem this. God has given us a glimpse of what he is going to do to restore. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Just a moment of silence for my ladies out there. I'm sorry, y'all. But here's what's beautiful, too. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this journey, God's like, it's going to yield a beautiful child. See, God doesn't waste the pain. Isn't that good? And he's like, listen, so in the midst of this, I'm going to show my grace. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Not only does the king seek, but the king disciplines. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Proverbs, which has been so impactful for me, and I hope it has been for you. But one of the things that's going to stay with me forever, I believe, is when Brady was preaching on discipline, and he said something that resonated with me in a way that I had never heard it before. Discipline is a means to restore relationship. So here is the king, and yes, he is disciplining his creation, but it's all about restoration. It's not about condemnation. That's a play of the enemy. No, it's always about restoration. And so even though sometimes it appears, man, this discipline seems intense, this discipline seems harsh, know that discipline is always stewarded it in order to restore relationship. And so the king 
does discipline. Eve would have pain in childbirth. Adam would have to work with much pain and toil. They were kicked out of the garden, but yet in the midst of this, Satan, the enemy, is going to be defeated. Almost done. Verse number 20 says this. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. One of my favorite children's Bibles is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If y'all haven't read that, it'll bless your soul. But I love the way they summarize what happens in the last part of chapter 3. This is what it says. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would all be over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan. A magnificent dream. One day, he will get his children back. One day, he will make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you, and when I do, I'm going to do battle against the serpent. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you led in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. The king seeks The king disciplines, and the king also covers. See, in the midst of this mess, in the midst of this broken relationship, in the midst of all of this, God said, you know what? I don't lose, and I'm not going to begin now. And so me, being the king, I'm not afraid of getting my hands a little dirty. I'm not afraid to get the mess. And I'm going to take the mess, and I'm going to take it upon myself. I'll take all that was destroyed, all the mess, and I am going to do something with it. And so he took it all. And you could even say he took it, and he put it in a tomb. And he came out with something beautiful. See, he took the mess and he took the brokenness and he took the relationship that had a wedge put in between it. And he said, you know what? No, I'm not content to leave them where they are. I'm not content to leave them in the midst of their mess. I will take the step because I'm always the one to take the step. 
And so even though they took this gift and they made a mess out of it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that brokenness, I'm going to take that falling short, that sin, and I'm going to put it all on myself, and I am going to do a new thing. Through the death of my son and the resurrection of my son, I am going to restore this relationship. I'm going to redeem the mess. I'm going to take the mess and I'm going to make a masterpiece. And that's exactly what he did because the king does not lose. He never has and he never will. But here's the deal. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your situations. I don't know where you are with the Lord. I don't know if you were raised in church. I don't know if you got here by accident. You thought you were turning into donut country and you ended up here at New Vision. I don't know. Can I just tell you, not really concerned about how you got here. I'm just concerned that you are here. And the question that he gives to each and every one of us is an invitation. He says, hey, I have made a masterpiece out of the mess. Are you willing to accept the cake? Because we don't have a king that's going to force his love upon us. The king does not desire little robots that are going to do all the things because they are programmed to do it. No, he wants a relationship with you. So he has given you freedom in a lot of times. And for all of us, we have taken that freedom and we have made a mess out of the situation. But the king goes, you know what? In spite of you, I'm still inviting you to dine at the table. I will pull the chair out. And I will offer you this cake through my completed work on the cross. I'm inviting you to dine and to eat and to become new. Colossians chapter 2 summarizes this oh so well. Verse 13 says this, when you were dead in your sins, when you messed up the cake, when you were in the midst of the mess, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He has offered you the cake. And my question to you is, are you willing to accept the cake? Here in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept the cake. If you've never done so, if you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord, as your King, I'm going to give you an opportunity right here and right now in the seat you are sitting in. For those online, right where you are in front of your computer, your television, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to the King for the first time. And I'm going to pray, and then after I'm done praying, I'm going to invite you to do something that feels uncomfortable and that is a courageous step. I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I'm going to have some staff members, some family members down front, and I want you to come and tell them about what God is doing in the midst of your life. Telling them doesn't save you. No, God's going to can save you right here and right now. But what coming up and talking to a family member does, they just want to walk with you, and they want to walk out what it means to dine at the table of the king and give you next best steps so you can walk well. And you might be thinking, but Nick, what if people say stuff about me? What, if, what will people think about me? You know what your family will think about you? Man, they're broken just like I'm broken. 
and they are accepting the cake how I've accepted the cake. Welcome to the family. Don't let anything stand in your way in this moment to say yes to the king and to take your next step and to tell a family member about it. So right where you are, if you would please bow your heads. Father, we know that you are at work in this place today. And the reason we know that is because your word was read. And you tell us that your word will not return void. And we believe that to be true. So, Father, I believe that right here and right now, there probably is somebody that has never said yes to you, that has never accepted the cake, that hasn't accepted their seat at the table of the king to become as a son or daughter of the king. But we believe in this moment together that you are about to take dead things to life, that you are about to expose the dark and bring it into lightness. So if you could say something like this, dear Jesus, I don't understand it all. Nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived and the mission you went on from your father. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your life on the cross, paying a debt I was unable to pay. I say yes to the fact that three days later, you were resurrected from the grave, overcoming sin and death and making a way for me to overcome sin and death as well. I say yes to all that you did. And I say yes to my seat at your table. And I say yes to being your son or your daughter. I say yes. And on the authority of God's word, not Nick's opinion, But on the authority of God's word, if you said something like that to the king, he says you will be saved. Another way to think about it is you have accepted the cake. And Father, maybe in this place there are some dark things that need to come to light. Maybe there are those in this place that have said yes to the cake, but yet they are still running back to broken, smashed cake. Father, I pray you will move and that they will take a step to bring those dark things to light. Father, we pray that you will do only what you can do. Lord, we thank you for what you have done and what you are doing. And Father, thank you that you took the brokenness and the mess and that you made a masterpiece. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite you right where you are to stand to your feet. Everybody, stand to your feet. Daniel and the team are about to sing a song called Run to the Father. I have some friends down front. If God has been doing work in your midst and he has been doing work with you, don't leave this moment without taking a step and telling somebody what God is up to. The enemy would love to dissuade you from taking a step of obedience. Don't listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of your father. Lord, have your way. Move in this place. Lord, have your way and move in this place.